Blog Talk Radio. There are obviously tens of thousands of innocent people currently languishing in prison in the United States. And so the Innocence Project is in a race against time. Time. They say criminals should be locked in prison, but they living in a big house that's white. It's not right. We gotta fight. They don't lock up corporate criminals that ruin the planet. Jails filled with nonviolent offenders, and it's tragic. Mistreated, got beaten, how they treated like animal corporations invading countries like cannibals for capital. The actual conditions in prison they meant for living. It's like torture they give it with night fights and listeners. The rehabilitation or correction or direction is corruption. They got gangs. They can stop the way it's running. They make coming out worse. They immersed in dysfunction. Prison abolition is written on by Gotta stop the property in prison, get driven and change it. Societal conditions causing equality and robbery. Technology is something that's not distributed properly. To America, one can afford the right lawyer's price. The other goes to jail for like 25 to life. Not given rehabilitation and incarceration. The United States is the only democracy on this planet that executes its prisoners. There is still the idea that if you've been arrested, you did something. There's no escape. It's all about profit. No stopping rape in this place. They give no contraception for protection. So you know AIDS is spread and infected with no threat. They never gave reparations for slavery and bad habits. It's packed with mostly blacks and Hispanics. It's riddled with a lot who got time that's innocent. I start to explain with the hurricane's pain. It's a shame. There's so much racism in the system. Sarah Hunt was innocent but served 20 years of prison. His innocence was presented with DNA evidence. Similar things are it happened, it happened to Charles Chapman, it happened to Alton Logan, there's so many we don't know and Dilly, we've been calling for them to let Mamiya go and Mandela the 27 in a place that's like the opposite of heaven Rockefeller drug laws is used as a weapon in deception of detention How come these men are free? Free, free Because DNA testing proved that they didn't do it They didn't do it They didn't do it They didn't do it Discrimination in the past readily is left present Evidently you can see they should end the death penalty yeah. They ready with the facts and what happened to Aaron Patterson The Innocence Project helps the innocent to shackle it Movie after innocence, after you witness it You see the significance of changing the whole system It's the real Shawshank Redemption that needs attention To a pile of marathon should be locked in detention yeah. These inmates rise to school, make them stay in high tent Cops get take orders from this demonic sheriff's death Many inmates on death row was exonerated Showing the penalty of death can't be tolerated Have the right funds, get the records expunged It's a fund of insanity A system that had to be changed up dramatically Factually, it's actually one of the worst ways of not acting democratically it's torture and solitary, prisoner abuse is not buried Conducive to solutions is quite the contrary It's way too overcrowded, but do they care? I doubt it Cause it's not about logic, it's that they pocket in the property because you're actually nothing. All you are is something locked in a cage back and forth every day. In actuality, all our family should be up here with us because they all suffer. For every one of us up here, there's hundreds more in prison that don't belong here. Everything in life is wonderful, and then one day, somebody comes up and tells a lie on you and you end up in jail. I had to fight despite lawyers. Despite prosecutors who tried to destroy evidence, I had to fight, I had to fight, I had to fight, I had to fight. My mom and dad spent over $150,000 on lawyer fees. That was their retirement money. And I'm not just trying to get compensation for me. I'm trying to get compensation for the guys that come out before me, for the guys that's going to come out after me. You see, this is my reason, my reason. Hey, my you see any justice, you must step up and do something about it. And that's what we're trying to do out here now. People say I'm crazy. 
I've been called crazy old man. I've been called the crazy dirty old man. I've been called the wise crazy old man. I've been called the crazy old white man. People keep saying I'm crazy. Well, to you people, thank you because you're right. And this is the Crazy Old Man Network.
is still vivid She died five years ago, nothing I could help My Lord has helped me with this pain that I felt With tears in my eyes, yo, I gave him a hug May God give you strength to keep away from drugs Keep away from drugs Keep away from drugs Never and more and more we stay These drugs make my friends crazy I'm laying it down, don't bring it around Cause I ain't nothing but drug free Never and more and more we stay These drugs make my friends crazy Can't you see I'm drug free and more and more we stay These drugs make my friends crazy I'm laying it down, don't bring it around away Cause I ain't nothing but drug free It's happening more and more each day Keep away from drugs drug. making my friends crazy I'm laying it down, don't bring it Keep around away from Cause drug. I ain't nothing but drug free It's happening more and more each day These drugs making my friends Stop when I stop, and I start when I start. Anyway, maybe I should have said that the other way around. But anyway, you just heard Daywood Wamsby, and can't you see? Now, I've had a lot of experience with drugs. Uh, I was drunk. Tried marijuana, didn't like it. But I've seen what the drug war is doing to the people in the inner city. I see what the drug war is being used to get blacks off the street and also Hispanics. The drug war just does not work. It causes more problems. It kills more people. And fills our prisons up. Which, according to the uh, private prisons, that's great. Hell, and and they, they just keep on saying, keep those drug laws going. Because that gives us money. And we can also kill a few people. Anyway. First part is going to be on marijuana. And I'm going to play a thing from Jack Cole of the Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. And it's 
where he testified on behalf of medical marijuana. Then after that, I'm going to talk a little bit about it. And then after that, I'm going to go back to Jack Cole again. And he's going to be uh, uh, doing a thing on International Symposium on Economic Crime. Then I'm going to talk some more. I ain't that easy to get rid of. And then after that, I'm going to close it with a long version of A Day and the Death of Donnie B. Which is, I think, from the 50s. It's a black and white video on archive.org. And and even though you can't see what's happening, you can see in your mind what's happening. And then after that, I'll probably do my news show. So, I'm going to get started. It is counterintuitive, but it is a fact that when you decriminalize drugs, you have less use of those drugs by young people. This is true. As I pointed out in Portugal, it's also true in the Netherlands. The Netherlands decriminalized marijuana 34 years ago. And some years ago, uh, our presidential administration thought, well, gee, this would be a perfect example to show the, the public in the United States what terrible things can happen when you use something robots. So they sent some of our scientists to the Netherlands to do a survey of their 10th graders and find out how many of those little rascals had used marijuana. And they found that 28% of them had used marijuana. And marijuana there, is, it's not legal, but it's decriminalized to the point where if you're an adult, and an adult is 18 in the Netherlands, you can go into a coffee shop and buy up to five grams of marijuana or hashish every time you walk in the door. They found that 28% of their 10th graders had used marijuana. And somebody said, well, don't think better to a comparison test on our 10th graders than they did. And they found out that 41% of our 10th graders So that wasn't what they were looking That wasn't the answer they were after at all. They went back to the Netherlands and they spoke to the drug czar of the Netherlands, who happens to be the Minister of Health, because in the Netherlands they treat drug abuse as a health problem, not crime. When they asked him, how could it be that uh, where, where marijuana is virtually legal, uh, your 10th grade is 28% use them, and in the United States, where we treat marijuana as the devil's own weed, 41% of our 10th graders are using. And I think his answer to that was, was right on. He said, you know, I think in Holland, we've managed to make pot for it. You know, young people aren't likely to act out against authority figures by doing something that's just hold on. And they know when they turn 18, they can walk into any coffee shop they want and get all they want. So what he means, he said this means, is that they don't start using drugs at the tender age of 14, which is entry-level age for drug abuse in this country. And he said, 
you can just prevent those young people from deciding, will I or won't I use a drug for those four very formative years of your life, those years, so many fewer of them will ever decide to use that drug. That he pointed out on a per capita basis, the use of soft drugs, marijuana, hashish, in the Netherlands is one half the use in the United States. One half. And the use of hard drugs, heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine, is one fourth of what the And he said the reason that they believe it's so much less for hard drugs is because young people experimenting with drug use who want to, when they turn 18 and want to buy a soft drug, go into a coffee shop where they want to sell them a soft drug. Not for the criminal on the street who would much rather look for one heroin, cocaine, and methamphetamine. The murder rate is one point. Apparently, they're doing something right. And let me suggest to you that it's not by making harsher drug policies. <clears throat> in the Netherlands, as a matter of fact, in all of Western Europe, they imprison their population at or below 150 per 100,000. In the Netherlands, it's 127 per 100,000. We imprison our population at the rate of 1,900 per 100,000. That means that one out of every 100 people in this country is in prison, in jail, or waiting. That's almost unbelievable. Either we have the most vile, criminal, horrible people in this country, or we're doing something wrong. There's something wrong with our lives. And that's all we're talking about. And most of these people are in those prisons because of drug just a uh, last question from the uh, U.S. history of the law enforcement officers. How many of those, I think you said, five cases were sent to the court? How many of them were placed away based on marijuana? Or did you see a combination of marijuana and other drugs? Getting, again, going back to and marijuana or is marijuana? Some type of An excellent question, Representative. Let me, let me preface this by saying I started my undercover work at the beginning of the war in 1970. We really didn't have much of a drug problem in this country in 1970. My belief is that the drug problem was virtually created out of whole by the war on drugs. Here's the way that worked. I joined the New Jersey State Police in 1964. We had 1,700 troopers. We had a seven-man narcotic unit. It seemed perfectly adequate for the job we needed to do. Six years later, we had exactly those same numbers until October of 1970 when I went into narcotics. When thanks to the fact that Mr. Richard Nixon had created his own war on drugs, he's the one that coined and created the phrase, and got the U.S. Congress that year to pass massive funding bills that would give tremendous amounts of money to any police department willing to hire officers to fight these warriors. Thanks to that bill, overnight, we went from a seven-man narcotic unit to a 76-person narcotic bureau. 
we increased the number of police doing that one job by 11 times its size. And when you do something like that, you set up a great deal of expectation. In the following year, we were expected to arrest at least 11 times more people for drug violations than we did the year before. We had to justify our existence. And there just weren't a lot of drug dealers out there in 1970. To get most of your drugs, you had to go to the big city. You had to go to New York City or New York or Philadelphia. I was working about 30 miles outside of New York City, and since there weren't many drug dealers, they targeted me and the other 35 people that went undercover for the state police against small groups of friendship groups. 10 to 15 people in a group, kids in college, kids in high school, kids in between. Come Friday night, somebody in that group, is, you know, they're out, they're out of school, they're off work, somebody say, hey, come get high. And of course, if nobody said that, that was my job. If anybody took me up on that offer, one of the friends in that little friendship group who happened to have access to the family car or something, to make the trip to New York City to get the drugs, and go around to others and say, you want to get high tonight? No, I got a test on you. No, I don't think so. How about you? Yeah, give me a couple of joints while you're in there, will you? How about you? Well, if, if you run across anyone that has uh, some acid, give me a head acid. And when they come to me, I put my order in for the same little, piddling amount of drugs, right? They jump in the car, off they go to the city, they come back, and when they handed that out to their friends, they got to me. When they added it to me, they became a big-time drug dealer. Because that's what we labeled them, and that's what stuck. And I might be working 10 of those friendship uh, groups at the same time. Every 45 days, me and the other 35 undercover agents would have a raid. We'd have round up about 100 people that we had with charges like this. We're going to go in at 5 o'clock in the morning with 350 cops with kitchen doors down and drag them out in chains. And when we got them down to the police station, we would have already called the reporters. The reporters would be there to take their pictures in that perp walk and destroy any credibility, respectability they had in the communities. And when we got them all lined up against that back wall, my boss would come out and say, you see that? There's 95 major drug dealers we took out of your community. That's what he'd tell the reporters. Major drug dealers. We need more police, we need more money, and we've got need harsher laws. We have to stop this. It's terrible. The reason they did it was they needed to prove that the war on drugs was so essential that the federal people would keep paying for the money for those police. We hired 76 new police officers that year, that first year, they were all paid by the feds. We had to make it look so bad that the keep paying for it, and that's what we did. And we went to lie about everything that happened in those Christians. And it's a shame. It's a shame. Because those people back then, those people might have sold me marijuana, or they might have just given me marijuana. You remember that guy who used to smoke the dinner in the hand? <laughs> Let me tell you about it. If Mr. Clinton would have been in that friendship group, and this is right when he was smoking the night in hand, it wouldn't have mattered whether he inhaled or not. That's a very social thing, especially with soft drugs. You stand around in a circle of half a dozen people, you spark up one joint, hand it to the pixie folks, hand it to the person on the right. 
They handed it to me. I pretended to take a coat, keep it the way I ran on. The next time we came around, everybody's getting high, the joints getting sore. When they handed it to me, I knocked the flame off of that and I stick it in my pocket. And that night, I would submit that as evidence, as evidence that the person who handed it to me was a drug dealer. Because the way the laws are written, it doesn't say anything about getting money. The mere handing from one hand to the other, one of these illicit drugs makes you a drug dealer. And had Mr. Clinton been standing in that circle and handed it to me, he wouldn't have been ever an attorney, much less the President of the United States. What are we doing now? And let me tell you what happened to those young people. They all went to prison for seven years. That was, that's what we were sent to back then. And back then, the word of the cop was gospel. Nobody got out of it. We went to jail for seven years. They came out, no education, no chance to get a job. Who are they going to turn to? The only place they can turn to is right back to the drug culture. This is terrible. You've got to stop this somewhere. And what you guys are working on is so important. It's so important. Okay, now, here's the way I see it. The worst drugs out there are legal. Cigarettes, alcohol, and you've got the prescription drugs that are legal but illegal. I mean, legal when prescribed, illegal when not. You've got a problem out there. Marijuana. has never killed anybody, they say. Now, there are some things that dispute that. Uh, marijuana can cause cancer. In fact, some say that it's worse than cigarettes when it comes to cancer. Uh, some say it's not. Don't really know. Marijuana causes a high, and it can be like drunk driving. I know because I've done it. And marijuana can be addictive. They say it's not, but from what I've seen, it can be addictive. They say, well, it's not a disease addiction. It's an addiction that you want. Well, most addictions are addictions that you want. I don't believe in a disease idea for drug addiction or alcoholism, which is drug addiction. But there's some other things, too. Marijuana for medicinal purposes is probably one of the best drugs out there. Either smoked or eaten or chewed depends on how you do it. 
it's saving lives and it's keeping kids who have of uh, you know kids who have seizures it helps get rid of the seizures it's uh, uh, PTSD it helps there and it helps for cancer patients and so the problem is though that the drug companies don't make money off marijuana because it's something that can be grown by a farmer or anybody really another thing too about marijuana is that hemp marijuana plant can be used for paper which saves trees it can also be used for a lot of building materials which saves trees so legalization of marijuana and the use of hemp can save people's lives it can make people's lives better and it can save trees and other things so it seems to me that it should be legalized another problem with it being illegal is that you don't know what the hell you're getting when you buy your marijuana I know of a kid, a straight-A student in high school, ended up dropping out in his senior year. He uh, got some bad marijuana, and it messed up his mind. Tried to kill himself. And he ended up working for a drug dealer. He was cleaning the bathroom. This guy went to a drug dealer and wanted to trade sex for drugs he said no so she went to him trying to get him to get her some drugs said I'll give you the best sex you ever had he killed her it's because of the marijuana but that wouldn't happen if it were legal So, legalization and control. What about the children? Children use marijuana now. But with the money that you make, that the state makes from taxes, They can use that to fight the drug addictions. They can go into the schools. Not teachers. Not psychologists. Not uh, anybody in the education system. The ex-drug offenders. 
people who kick the habit, people who went to prison because of it, the kids will listen to them. And they can make a little bit of money, too, for their speaking. I'm sure a lot of them will do it for free. But I think the school should pay him a little bit. Okay, that's marijuana. I'm going to go back to Jack Cole, and then after that, we're going. I'm going to be talking about the other drugs. Thank you, Mr. Oliver, and thank uh, Barry for putting together this uh, wonderful symposium. It's been running 29 years, and for inviting law enforcement against prohibition to come here and speak to you for the last five years. Those of us charged with enforcing the laws and the regulations of our respective countries have an additional responsibility, and that responsibility is to advise policymakers when they have created laws that and, and policies that do not uh, achieve their goals. As a police officer who served 26 years in the state police, enforcing the drug laws in the U.S., it's become my responsibility and the responsibility of the 50,000 police judges, prosecutors who are members of LEAP to explain to the public that good people hoping for good outcomes have actually mistakenly created a prohibition that has resulted in a self-perpetuating and constantly expanding policy disaster. A disaster we refer to as the war on drugs, which is actually a war on people. So we now need to find the balance between too much and too little policing. If current po drug policy actually worked, six things would happen. Uh, drug supply would decrease, uh, drug purity of the individual dose would increase, drug prices would, or would decrease, and drug prices would increase, which would, those three things put together would cause drug users to decrease in numbers. And of course, when the drug users decrease in numbers, there should be less overdose deaths, and less drug prohibition murders. The actual facts don't show this to be true. Let's break it down individually. Drug supply should decrease. Well, actually, uh, the largest single seizures at the beginning of the war were measured in pounds, and today they're measured in tons. In the U.S., one seizure, 10 tons of heroin. One seizure, 20 tons of cocaine. One seizure, 186 tons of marijuana. That's a lot of drugs to take off the street, folks. And it didn't increase the price of those drugs by one penny. How about drug purity? It should decrease. When I started buying heroin on the streets in 1970, at the beginning of the war, it was coming in at one and one-half percent pure. Today, street-level heroin is coming in at 60 percent pure. That's 40 times the problem we had at the beginning of the war. How about drug prices? They should increase, right? 
Well, actually, the wholesale price for cocaine has dropped 60 percent since the beginning of the war, and the wholesale price for heroin is down 70 percent since the beginning of the war. Drug use should decrease. Well, actually, according to the DEA, uh, they estimated that at the beginning of the war on drugs, we had 4 million people in the U.S. who had used an illegal drug. That was 2 percent of that population. Today, DEA tells us we have 112 million people in the U.S. who have used an illegal drug. Folks, that's 46 percent of the population. How about overdose deaths? They should be decreasing, right? Well, actually, that's not true either. Uh, from the beginning of the war up until 1979, we had about 28 heroin overdose deaths per 100,000 heroin users. Today, we have 141 heroin overdose deaths per 100,000 users. Something's wrong here. Drug prohibition murders should decrease, but as we all know, they've increased a lot. Uh, in just four years, from 2007 to 2010, in Mexico, there were 36,510 drug prohibition murders, and in Venezuela, 52,000 of those murders in the same time period. And to give you a context for this, in the last year, we, the U.S. was fighting the war in Iraq, 5,000 Iraqis were killed. So you can see there are more people being killed in this war on drugs than in what we call a real shooting war. Yearly, we arrest a lot of people in the United States for nonviolent drug offenses. Before we started the war, that number was 60,500 in 1965. Now, it's up to where every year we arrest 1.7 million people in my country for nonviolent drug offenses. That's a problem 27 times greater than it was at the beginning of the war. We have spent, in the 40 years of this war, $1.5 trillion prosecuting it. And what do we have to show for it? This. This is the cumulative amount of arrests we've made in that time period. 41 million and counting, folks. 41 million. Has that helped it, our, our goals? Has that accomplished our goals? If our goal is to re reduce the addicted population in our country, it hasn't helped at all. A hundred years ago, 1914, when all drugs in the United States were legal, our government told us that we had 1.3% of the population that was addicted to drugs. Fifty-six years later, when we were getting ready to start a war on drugs, they told us that we had 1.3% of our population addicted to drugs. Now, 40 years after this terrible war has raged, our government tells us we have 1.3% of the population addicted to drugs. That is the only stat that hasn't changed in 100 years. But some stats have changed dramatically like these. This is the clearance rate for arrests for major crimes in my country. Of course, if this is the clearance rate, the opposite of that is the unsolved crimes, right? 40% of all the murders in my country are unsolved. 60% of all rapes and arsons, unsolved. 75% of robberies are unsolved, and 90% of home burglaries are unsolved. Now let me point out to you that the police in 1963 in the United States were correctly credited with solving 91% of the murders. Today, we solved 61%. What happened? 
did we suddenly become incompetent? We have far more police per capita than we did in 1963. They're better paid, better educated, and they have uh, technology at their disposal like it came from Star Wars. No. What has happened, according to the 50,000 police judges, prosecutors at, at least, is that our police are spending so much time and energy chasing around a lot of nonviolent drug offenders that we no longer have time to protect citizens from violent predators, from child molesters, from things that really matter. And we say, let us get back to doing these things that really matter. How do you do that? We come up with a different policy, and that policy would be to remove the profit motive from the drug culture, from the sales. And the only way to do that is to legalize all drugs. If you legalize those drugs, you take the criminal out of the equation, and that will end the violence. Another little thing that a lot of you people would be interested in, the uh, International Trade in Illicit Drugs annually generates $500 billion. All that money has to be laundered, right? If we legalize these drugs, that $500 billion you regulators wouldn't have to worry about at all. No country has legalized drugs, but many countries have decriminalized drugs. I just want to talk about two. The first one is Portugal decriminalized all drugs for adults in 10 years ago. And you know when they did that, drug lawyers like myself uh, said, hey, if you do this, it's going to be chaos. You're going to become the drug tourist capital of the world. You'll have people shooting heroin on your beaches or needles sticking up in the sand. None of that happened. As a matter of fact, what did happen when they decriminalized all drugs for adults was drug use in every age category went down. You have one minute. But it dropped significantly among young people. For children from uh, 13 to 25, drug use declined by 25%. And for young folks from 16 to 18, drug use dropped by uh, 22%. Heroin overdose deaths were cut in half because they no longer treat heroin users as criminals. They treat them as people with health problems. They're not afraid to come for help when they feel they're overdosing, and they're saving half the lives now. AIDS and hepatitis, these terrible blood-borne diseases, uh, new cases of HIV reported since they've decriminalized have dropped by, by intervening drug users, have dropped by 71%. And now they have a lot of money extra, so they've increased their rehabs and their treatments by more than 300%, and they're saving these people. The other country I wanted to mention is Switzerland. In 1994, they decided they're tired of arresting their children for using heroin. They set up clinics around that country where if you're a heroin user, you can go in and actually inject heroin up to three times a day. And uh, the results of that program are amazing. It's uh, government-issued heroin. There has not been a single overdose of the death there in 15 years. AIDS and hepatitis in that country has now dropped to the lowest per capita rate in any country in Europe. Sorry, I got about three more seconds. And 20% uh, of the people coming in there have quit using any drug at all. 60% reduction in crime. And you know something even more important than this is the fact that since these drugs are effectively free there, there's nobody selling dope on the, on the streets where these clinics are, which means no drug dealers are 
luring young children into picking up that drug and becoming a, 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 the next uh, person that's addicted. So there has been an 82% decline in new heroin users in Zurich. That is amazing. Thank you. Okay. Uh, as I said, I, I spent a lot of time in the drug world. I try to help drug addicts get rid of their addiction. And I've been successful a few times. My goal has been to be able to start up a rehab that works. I haven't seen any rehabs that really work. The failure rate is tremendous. Why? Well, the main thing is that uh, people get sent to them by the courts, and they, if it's not their own idea, they aren't going to quit. It's a simple fact. They have to have a reason to quit. And they haven't figured out that reason yet. Well, I try and give them a reason to quit. Try to get rid of the reason that they started using. And it usually works. AA and NA say it's a disease. I disagree. I feel it's a choice. When I was a drunk, I was a drunk because I chose to be a drunk. I was a drunk because I was escaping something with alcohol instead of getting the fuck out. As simple as that. Sometimes people find themselves in a situation that they can't handle. Turn to drugs to get rid of that situation. But that situation is still there. And when they sober up, it's going to be bothering them again. So you got to get rid of the problem. But let's get back to what happens when the drugs are illegal. There is no control over who saw them. Of course, if they get caught, they go to jail for a while. Now, if they're small-time people, they go to jail for a longer time than big-time people do. But you know, it depends a lot on their financial situation, whether they spend a long time or less time in prison. And you get stuff in with the drugs that you buy that can kill you. It may not be the first time, may be this not be the second time. May even be after you quit that you die from it. You can get permanent damage from bad drugs. 
I had a friend that was a heroin addict. I mean, when I met him, his hands were very swollen because he was shooting up in his hands. You see, in this uh, inner city, you see people going around in wheelchairs with only one leg, some with no legs. You see people on crutches with only one leg. You see people hopping around because they can't even afford the crutches on one leg. This is normally because of drugs. Because of shooting up. Now, I almost lost a leg a while back. That was because of my uh, diabetes. But anyway, I've had a lot of friends die because drugs are illegal. Then there's a couple cases with heart failure. It may have been bad drugs, it may not have been. There was uh, some dealers in the projects here in Detroit selling drugs laced with poison. Uh, heroin. A good friend of mine was a heroin addict. He's dead now. He had a horrible death. And it was because of bad heroin, which would not have happened if it was being controlled by the government. So, they said that 150 people died in Detroit from this. I would say probably three times as many. Because a lot of deaths probably wouldn't have showed that it was because of the heroin, bad heroin. Like in his case, I think it probably didn't come out on the death certificate or anything. It was because of the heroin. So that wouldn't be included. There's a big problem out there. One reason the drugs are illegal and one reason for the drug war is so that private prisons can make a whole bunch of money. We have 5% of the world's population but 25% of the world's prison population. We have more prisoners than China does. Of course, China kills a lot of them, too, before they get to prison. But most of those people are in for nonviolent 
drug offenses. If we legalize drugs, all of a sudden the prison population would be cut by half or even more than half. And too much money is made off prison. I mean, let's face it, uh, Dick Cheney is a part owner in the prisons. He makes money off the drug war. CIA, they make money off of drugs. They can't get all the, the money they need for their crappy activities to uh, make it without going to drugs. That's one reason why we're in Afghanistan. Before the U.S. got in Afghanistan, they had very little, little opium and heroin trade because the Taliban would say no because it's against the Islam religion. Now 90% of the world's heroin comes from Afghanistan. And a big part of it is the CIA selling it. People say, no, nah, they wouldn't do that. Well, hell, they were caught. And Reagan there, you know, you had reporters die because they found out You gotta wake up. I would say and smell the roses, but you may get a thorn on your nose too. But the drug war does not work. All these murders because of drugs would be gone. All these criminals would be out of business. Hell, they may even have to get a job. That'd be awful. Because being a drug dealer is a job. Yeah, it can be a well-paid job as long as you don't use the drugs that you sell. Anyway... You'll get more of this another time. I'm going to close it now with Louis Bushido, A Day and the Death of Downey B.
The day in the death of Donnie B. Strung out, waiting to die. Nothing to laugh at, no one to cry. Just another dirty gray day in the death of Johnny B. Just another dirty gray day in the death of Johnny B. Drugs is just a waste of time. Just to be normal, you have to go to a lot of hell. It's like suicides, jumping off a bridge. He's killing himself, and I have a sneaky suspicion that he knows it also. This is one of the places where you usually find a junkie. This cold, narrow, steel barred cell. You'll see him in here, double up in pain, swelling it out, waiting for tomorrow. I really didn't know who I was, you know, what I was or where I was going. He is socially dead, morally dead, and soon he will be physically dead. Drugs are a cop-out. It really doesn't help the matter any, you know, makes it worse. You're a poor person. Here you have a very expensive habit. In fact, you're really living like a rich person. Because here you're giving yourself something which is going to cost you quite a few dollars per day. And where's the money going to come from? No one's going to give you that much money a day. And, and as your habit grows, and in other words, as you use more and more drugs, this is inevitable. It's, 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 you know, it's going to happen that you need more and more money. And no one's going to give you that as a gift. be sorry for you and give you money just to be giving you money but because you look sick because you your habit is coming down on you you're gonna have to get the money somehow so you're gonna steal there's no future for him you know as it stands in reality there is no present because he's really non-existent his whole world consists of, let's say, of him.
The economic crisis consists mainly of the hassle of trying to get that dollar. You know, stealing, lying, cheating their friends. They like to use people for what they can get. They might as well be dead. My husband has been around this problem quite some time, and when it hit our family, at first, it sounds so cruel for my husband to say, well, I guess I better go out and get some more insurance out on him, because since he doesn't give a damn about his own life, at least we can make some money from it. And I thought this was very cruel to have my husband say something like this. But then when you sit down and think about it realistically, this is exactly what he's doing. What has to happen, the addict has to, like, change his present view that he has of himself. If he doesn't, he will remain a walking corpse. And, and until this thing happens, he will continue on his path to nowhere. It's a day in the death of Donnie B. Can't see a blue sky above Can't feel the raindrops Can't feel the sun Can't know a lover Couldn't have one Can't feel the snowflakes Can't work or play Finding a fix for the day Just another weary, weary day In the depths of Donny B Just another weary, weary day In the depths of Donny B When you come into court you see these people standing before the, the, law, uh, the law, you can realize, gee, I remember seeing that person walking around, you know, the neighborhood, you know, a few months ago. And they must have seen all the addicts, they must have seen the people hanging on the streets, and people that were without clothes and shelter because they used drugs. But that didn't seem to impress their minds. They probably were saying to themselves, well, that will never happen to me. I, I'm starting to use drugs, but I know I won't be like that. I'm not that old, I'm young, and I can take care of it, I can control my habit and all this kind of thing, you know. Most of the people we do arrest are the minor people, the street addicts, the 18, 19-year-old person. We're just doing jump, use four, five, six, eight, ten bags a day. Arrest them for either living narcotics itself or for putting various crimes they need to do in order to get the money to supply their habit. And he spends anyway from six months to two, three, four years in jail on each offense kind of hard to see a young person almost near death because he's stuck a needle on this arm. A person who's vital, has a, who has, has a lot of life in him, who should be going to school and who should be playing, you know, playing basketball or something, yet and has the body to be able to do these things. This happens time after time. Seeing even teenagers almost dying, fighting death. Many people stand around in the crowd, you know, and watching this person, if they see this kind of thing, and there's not too much sympathy for it. This is a different kind of death. He's sleepy, his nose is running, he itches. He feels cold, he feels hot. He doesn't even know what the sun really looks like. 
He's literally living in a world of illusion. He's like a zombie. It's a way of living for Donnie B. Driving his friends for a buck. Nothing else matters. Nobody cares. Hanging around to raise a little bread for the death of Donnie B. The great bulk of the junkies are still in the same place I left them at. 25 years ago, I was in the street for a detective making an arrest, and today I see the same fellows who've been to jail off and on, off and on, off and on, on the same corners, in the same stinking cellars, in the same rooftops, and their friends have died of overdoses or just being sick from the junk. And uh, they're still in the same spot, and nothing has changed for them. But most of my, most of my known 20 years ago were dead or in jail. I found better things to do. I saw that wasn't me. I want to live to be an old man, real old man. It's, it's hard to describe. It's just really a way of killing yourself. No more school, no more future. It's an abysmal end. And I tell you, I'm not trying to put any kids down or any people down, but start with junk. It puts you down. It's the needle and vein for Donnie B. Freezing his muscle and brain. Bottle cap living, bottle cap dead. Another dirty gray dawn in the death of Donnie B. Just another dirty gray dawn in the death of Donnie B. So this, it's a pretty rough story. There's no easy way to tell a guy, don't take it because you get jaundice because he gets syphilis, because you die. No, he's, he does, doesn't want to listen. This, this guy knows everything about dope. The only thing he doesn't know, he doesn't know that when I see them in the autopsy room on a Monday morning, you see this fish-eyed look looking up at the ceiling. It's the end of the road. And then you got to call the old lady and his mother and tell her to pick up the brown paper bag up front and take all his clothes. That's the end of the road for her boy. And then she says, why, why? Goodbye, Donnie. You're feeling no pain. Messing up your life with that needle and vein. The death of Donnie B. Just another 
dirty gray dawn in the death of Donny B. Say goodbye to the people, Donny. You're going away soon. Goodbye, Donny. Goodbye, Donny. Goodbye, Donny. Goodbye. I think I said I was closing with this, but I lied. I've got some more to say, and then I'm going to play a thing that I did a while back called A Day in the Life of a Homeless Person. Okay. Now, if drugs were legal and controlled, Donnie B. wouldn't be facing death. Tony B may even be able to get off the drugs. You've got a lot of methods, like I mentioned before, the rehab places that don't work. I don't know of any that really do. Well, I take that back. There's one that's pretty good. But the thing is that you got drug dealers working for a lot of these rehab centers, and they're selling drugs to the people. You know, it's easier to get drugs in prison and in rehab than it is to get it on the streets. It really is. Then they've got... Oh, what in the hell is it called? That's synthetic heroin that they use to get people off of heroin. I haven't seen that work either. People I know that uh, would use that would they get to the place and they didn't have any more than they would go out and get heroin or crack. Either way. And so, legalization and control. Now, in the earlier seg- segment from Jack Cole, he didn't mention Portugal because when that was done, Portugal hadn't legalized it yet. Portugal, the use of drugs went down. Deaths from drugs went down, and instead of sharing needles, people would go into a clinic and they would supply them with clean needles and clean syringes, and they could get the heroin there, I believe. Didn't have to buy it from a drug dealer. Didn't have to worry about what was put in it. 
didn't have to worry about uh, how high the percentage of heroin was in that thing. He don't didn't have the overdoses anymore. Seems to me that that's the way to go. Oh, it costs money. It's a hell of a lot cheaper than what they're doing now. It's a lot cheaper than uh, giving these prison, private prisons money to take people that don't belong in prison in the first place. Money is wasted on a drug war. Lives are wasted on a drug war. Got to do something. Now, I know a lot of homeless people. Most people I know are drug addicts. I know a lot of prostitutes. I know a lot of homeless people. And I know a few drug dealers. They get pissed off at me when I say legalize it because they know they'll lose income. But that's life. The thing about it is, though, drug dealers are pretty smart when it comes to business. They can probably start their own business. Hell, they may be able to get licenses to sell marijuana. Might be a good idea. Uh, Montel Williams, he'd take these kids over drug dealers and set them up in business because they were good businessmen, even though they were still kids. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to play a, de- a day in the life of a homeless person by Lee Gaylord, who is me. And after that, I'm going to say goodbye. And after that, I'll probably start the news show shortly after that. So here we go with a day in the death of a homeless person. Excuse me, a day in the life of a homeless person. A day in the life of a homeless person is a composite of those I've seen. I'm going to tell you about the day in the life of Joe Wino. Joe was homeless and a drunk. At one time he was a successful businessman, but he lost his family in an auto accident. After the accident he could not function. He started to drink to make the pain go away. Soon he could not uh, function at work and got fired. Then he lost his house and found himself in the streets. During the warm parts of the year, he sleeps on park benches, in alleys, or in abandoned buildings, bus stop shelters, or anywhere else he can lie down and go to sleep. During the winter, if the shelters are full, he tries to find something inside. may not be heated, but he has some blankets to help keep the cold out of his body. All his belongings are in plastic bags. In the morning, he gets up and heads for the garbage cans and the dumpsters. 
He looks for bottles that he can turn in for deposit money, food, or something to drink. The problem with the bottles is that more people are drinking and water out of the bottles, and those have no deposit. That cuts on it down his income. He likes the dumpsters behind the restaurant because they sometimes have food, especially after meal times. If he is lucky, he will not have to spend money on food. That gives him more money for his liquid refreshment. Joe is at the bus stop. When when the bus stops, he gets on and asks if anyone can help him with his bus fare. If there is a sucker, he gets a fare and jumps off. Can't do this too often because each bus driver remembers him and will eventually stop picking him up. When he gets enough for a cheap half pint, he goes to the liquor store and buys the cheapest half pint he can find. Sometimes someone will take him to get food. Then he sells it for cheap booze. Many of those on the streets are drug addicts too. Some have lost a limb or two because of their addiction. You see them on crutches and wheelchairs and hopping around on one leg. During the day they are downtown begging from the office workers and the shoppers. If they aren't causing a problem, police just look the other way. Joe's day is spent walking, begging, checking garbage, having an occasional nap. As night falls, he starts to think about where he will sleep. He finds a place in an abandoned building. He has a bottle that he will uh, drink until he passes out. If he is lucky, he will wake up in the morning. Maybe, if he's lucky, he will not wake up in the morning. If it's cold, he may freeze to death. He may be killed by another homeless person or some sick killer. He may die from cheap booze. How lucky he is depends on his living or his death being painless. No one will miss him. No one will care. He is lost and forgotten soul. Maybe he is when he is gone. Someone may wonder what happened to that bomb that used to beg there. Maybe one person will miss him. I may miss him. When we go, if one person realizes we are gone and we were not totally lost. Okay. Uh, I have seen a lot of homeless people. Like I said, that was a composite of them. Uh, I was going to say some other things, but I forgot what I was going to say. Joys of old age. Anyway, it's time for me to close this. And this is a long one. Well, I had a lot in it. Didn't do as much talking, so... Anyway... Since I can't 
think of what else I wanted to say, I won't say it. I want you all to have a good day, a good week, a good month, and a good year. Most of all, I want you to have a beautiful life. Thank you for being you and TGYA. Thank God you're alive. Okay, I'm back again. As you notice, that was a recording. And I have a few things to say before I cut. Uh, by the way, no, I, I was going to say that show was limited, but what was. Anyway, I am dead set against the drug war. Can you imagine how much money would be saved if it was legalized and controlled? Part of that savings would go into the rehabilitation. In fact, actually, you would could have the tax on the drugs go into rehabilitation. To me, the drug war is stupid. But a lot of people make money off of it. And that's why it continues. The prison companies, they just love the drug war. You've got these kids that are coming from Central America because of all those shootings and murders down there. You get rid of the drug war throughout the world. You get rid of the drug cartels because they wouldn't have anyone to sell to. Of course, then maybe they'd become legalized. But I doubt that. Anyway, it's to me, I see so much suffering because of the drug war. And crack started, and when it got going, it was because of the CIA. The CIA makes money on drugs. One reason our country is in Afghanistan is because of heroin trade. 80% of the heroin in the world comes from Afghanistan. Before the United States was there, the heroin wasn't there because the Taliban are anti-drugs. And 
country makes money off of drugs. Simple as that. I'm going to tell you a little thing about bear aspirin. Bear aspirin is from Germany. When Hitler was gone, bear aspirin used slave labor. The head man for bear aspirin died from heroin overdose. Bear aspirin's the one that brought heroin to the world. It was uh, used as an extra strength painkiller. And then they found out it did a lot more than kill pain. Made you feel good. And eventually it was made illegal or the heroin-based aspirin or painkiller. From what I understand, the use of the heroin for medical purposes is still done in England and the UK, probably some other countries. Because the Morphine comes from heroin, I believe, and uh, when I was had my cancer surgery, I was hooked up to a morphine drip, and a nurse would come by every so often and say, from one to ten, how much pain are you in? I always said 10, even if it was one, so I'd get more morphine. I didn't become addicted because when I left the hospital, I didn't try to get any. But I enjoyed it while I was in the hospital. It's like when I had my last two strokes. I didn't go to the hospital right away because I was having too much fun. It was like I was high on LSD. Lost 75 pounds in two and a half weeks. Because I didn't eat too much. One meal a day, maybe less. Anyway... The drug world can be very dangerous. I knew a lot of drug addicts. I had a girlfriend who was a crack addict. And I lived with her eight times in eight years. Probably about four years in total in an eight-year period. 
And when we first got together, her brother or sister and some friends would come over and they would use the crap. I'm saying the daughter, usually she was asleep in bed, but a couple of times she got up and she got a contact high. And she also, my girlfriend, she had a neighbor who I think got her started on the crack. And he moved out of Detroit into a redneck suburb. And he wouldn't tell her where he moved. Didn't have his phone number. He had an unlisted number. And he came by one day, and I used to buy her drugs for it because I felt that she was going to do the drugs anyway. It was safer for me to buy them than for her to buy them. And I knew a lot of the dealers. This guy came over with his wife, maybe his girlfriend, I'm not sure. And he was afraid to buy the drugs. So he asked me to get him four rocks, four nickel rocks. I said, well, I'll get them for you. But you got to give me an extra nickel so I can get a nickel rock for her. A nickel is $5. Okay. So I go to the drug dealer. And as I tell it said, a lot of these drug dealers are my friends. I said, I need six rocks. I need four little rocks, the smallest you got, and one of the biggest you got. He said, I'll do you better. I'll give you four small rocks and two big rocks for the price of five rocks. Okay, so we talked for a little while, and then I came, started for home. I left his place, and I saw a narco driving down the street. Luckily, he didn't stop at my friends, but. And I went up to the next street, and there was a cop there coming on the road towards me. I turned, and the cop turned my way. I'm thinking, hope this guy isn't following me. So I turned at the next corner, and he went straight 
but there was a cop on that street, and that cop was behind me. So I turned again down the road, and the cop didn't turn. So I went home, gave the couple of their four rocks. They said, can we smoke them here? I said, no. And my girlfriend looks at me. It was her house. And he left. And she said, why did you do that? I said, this is why I showed her her two rocks, which were about as big as their form combined. And uh, so I told her, I said, look, this clown moved, and he won't let you come to his house, but he comes to your house. He shouldn't even allow him in the door. And she agreed with me. Anyway, problem is that since I didn't use crap, if I got busted with it, they give you a drug test. You show up negative on a drug test, that means that you aren't a user, you're a dealer. Now, you may be thinking, well, you aren't selling it, you're just giving it to your girlfriend. Well, it's considered sale. I get a roof over my head. I get a nice woman in bed with me every night. Can't complain about that. So, anyway, every time I was with her after that, I didn't buy her drugs anymore. And something you may consider. There was a motel that had, had the uh, uh, hot tubs, heart-shaped hot tubs, three of the rooms. During the day, they were rented out for her two-hour maximum, I believe. But at 7 o'clock at night, you had them until uh, 11 the next morning. So, once a month, we would get the room with a hot tub. And I recommend that for anybody who's married or living together with a young lady or old lady, as the case may be. And it will keep your relationship going strong. So, uh, I, uh, we knew this girl. And I went she was staying with her sister. Excuse me. 
and she got off the drugs. And I stopped by to see her. And I had split, split up with a girlfriend. Had a second, maybe we could get something going. And she told me, whatever you do, don't tell uh, Brenda where I live. Or don't, and don't give her my phone number. Because every time I'd get off the drugs, she would get me back on. And so, she, uh, she and I got along great. And anyway, I had another girlfriend who was a crack addict. And she was a dancer. Cutest little thing you ever did see. Very popular dancer. She made pretty good money, but she spent it on crap. Lived with her mother in a, it was a, a upper flat of her mother's house. And she had a daughter. Her daughter called me Daddy too, because I told her I said, "Look, I'm never going to replace your father, but I want to be number two." And so she started calling me Daddy too. Her mother and I split up a couple of times, and when we split up, I'd end up going back to the other gal. It was like a roller coaster. But I got her mother off of drugs, and she quit dancing. And I didn't see her for a while, and we ran across each other. And we started seeing each other again. And she was off the drugs. She quit dancing. And she wasn't doing too well financially. So I told her, I said, why don't you go back to dancing? She said, well, you don't want me to dance. And I wasn't her boyfriend anymore. We were friends, but uh, I said, well, you know, we aren't really together anymore. She said, I may not be your, your girl, but you'll always her, I may not, you may not be my man, but I'll always be your girl. And her daughter ended up in a youth home because she beat up a sheriff's son. 
the sheriff's son and really started to fight. But since she wasn't a sheriff's son, she got busted. Come to find out, she was using marijuana. And at 15, she was dancing. And anyway, she ended up going into a Catholic youth home for about three years, maybe, yeah, about three years. So anyway, it's getting to be pretty close to time for me to go. And I'm thinking, should I talk a little more? I've got, oh, hell, I've got 14 minutes left. I'm down to, well, 13 minutes left. Should I talk some more or should I not? That is the question. I'm going to tell you a little bit about future shows. I'm going to rerun some of the old shows. I did these editorials, and I'm going to rerun some of them. Well, I didn't do them on here. Today's show was the editorial I did on my other place that I no longer have a show at. And, by the way, my website, well, I got three, but you can get to all three of them through injusticesystem.net. I also have uh, all the shows I did on Bob Talk on embedded where it has I think four or five shows on there that you can connect to the uh, you know go to the website and has a four or five of the latest shows and Call for Change has three fairly new shows on there that I did and you can I go back from uh, well 2009 on on uh, uh, this show, and I left Blog Talk three years ago. So it would have been 2011, 2000, right, yeah, 2011, 12, 13, 14, you're right. And anyway, check them out. I think you'll enjoy them. That's the one thing I like about Hog Talk. On this show, with old shows, 
I'm getting around 800 uh, people, listeners, a month. And it's been three years since I did those shows. I did one show that said 24,000 listeners. The other ones were only around and uh, the highest was about three or four thousand. I did a show, a Christmas show on my old time radio show. Here that air was may have been uh, my a. Uh, I had a show called the Crazy Old Man Network, and I did, that was a paid show that I paid for, and I did some of the radio shows on that, and I think I did a Christmas show on there, had 3,000 listeners for the live show. Anyway... I am getting close to the end. I'm running out of things to say. In the future, I'm going to do shows like today where I have recordings and do some talking. You'll be able to call in And shows will be on the injustice system, also on drugs. I had a Castle Hope show for Lost Souls, and I think it was two hour shows before it became a, before you had to pay. And, uh, I'll be doing Castle Hope shows on this. And I will probably have guests. I hope to. And my soulmate and I will do some Castle Hope shows together along with a couple former addicts. Uh, on this show, I had four interviews, one with Pac Mama and two with Ex-Cons. Both of them were guilty. And one was my favorite semi-retired prostitute. And I may play those again. If you go to my Facebook page, I'll have them on there occasionally. Anyway, I am going to close it. I already said goodbye on that recording. 
want you all to have a good day, a good week, good month, and a good year. Most of all, I want you to have a beautiful life, and thank you for being you. T-T-Y-A, thank God you're alive. Bye.